Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 16th day of February 2024, and this is Palindrome episode 858 of Bitcoin. And how you doing out there? How you doing out there? It's Friday. We got some stuff going on. It's all over the place, and we're going to get all into it. But first, the Circle P is open for business. The Circle P is my way of showcasing you, the average pleb, the guy that... I don't know. Maybe he makes comfrey cuttings and tries to sell them. Maybe he makes, I don't know, batches of freaking Kool-Aid. I am not exactly sure what we're doing here. But, but, I can be assured, you can be assured that I will assure you that if you have a good or service that you are going to sell for Bitcoin, and it has to be sold for Bitcoin, I can include you in the Circle P. Today, we have Maple Trade. It's been a week of Maple Trade because... Well, Maple Trade is gearing up to sell his maple syrup. He's tapping his trees. He's doing all kinds of stuff. So dive into the wildly pure, outrageously rich flavor of nature with our funky artisanal handmade maple syrup. Whipped up from the grooviest of maple trees, each bottle pops with a sweet vibe of tradition and top-notch quality. Pancakes? Waffles? Or that secret recipe? Begging for a twist of sweet funkiness? Well, we've got you covered. Jazz up your eats with a splash of our amber magic. Hit us up now and groove to the beat of true craftsmanship. Taste the difference. Taste the fun with Maple Trade, aka Beisnerds at B E I S N E R D S. You can get maple syrup from him if you use that handle both on Twitter and on Noster. And you can also get some of his sister Sarah's soaps, which are some of the best soaps that I've ever used. Well worth the money. Okay, first up, let's revisit just for a sec the whole Elizabeth Warren flag-flying Bitcoin thing just to get it out of the way. This is from Spreak over on Dead Bird site says, Public service announcement. The Elizabeth Warren flag-flying thing is literally a meme. You just pay $34 and it will get rubber-stamped approved Unless it is obviously inappropriate. 1010 troll, though. And then he's got a screenshot of the website that you go to on U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren's flag request form, which I guess you just go to like the U.S. Capitol website or whatever and go to get, you know, fly my flag and then select your senator or whatever. And then, like I said, you know, unless you're just going to like, I don't know, celebrate a porn star or something like that, they're probably going to fly it. This was 100% troll. Anybody within the sound of my voice that thinks that Elizabeth Warren actually wanted that flag to fly or even knew that the flag was flying under her name, fooling yourself, you're fooling yourself. She now, she knows now 
She, I can good damn well guarantee she knows that that shit happened now, and it's probably just going to make her even more pissed off. Uh, somebody actually mentions that in the boostograms, which we will get to in that portion of the show. But now that that's over and done with, let's get to this woman named Carol House. Who the hell is Carol House? And I should have had this up. Uh, Carol House. Hold on for a sec. And you'll understand where I'm going here in just a second. But, okay, so she's sitting in front of, like, I don't know, some kind of appropriations committee. If you haven't seen the the uh, short video on Nostra or Twitter, I'm about to play the audio for you. So it's coming here real quick. I need you to listen up. She's talking about Bitcoin mining, and she says a few things, including a fairly obvious Freudian slip. Let's see. If you can catch it. So in the DeFi report that you mentioned, we highlighted uh, lots of different types of technical features and compliance controls that can be built in at different layers of the ecosystem that could fork it, focus, for example, at the network layer where miners exist. Um, a good place to start might be something like sanctions. OFAC has already stated in their compliance guidance that miners may already have sanction screening obligations. So a good place to start right now before imposing new AML obligations on miners or those who exist at the network layer could be to enforce the existing obligations when they, when they validate transfers going to sanctioned actors like Lazarus Group. Okay, so who is this chick? Carol House. Carol House is this woman's name. And before we get into exactly who she is, uh, let me just say, if you ask you, if you caught the Freudian slip, she said, fork it when referring to ba- essentially the Bitcoin network. This is more centered on the mining aspect, but it's the Bitcoin network when you get right down to it. Fork it. And then she corrects herself and says, force it. And what she's talking about is forcing miners to only mine the transactions that the United States government, Department of Treasury, Department of Justice, Bojaden himself, thinks is, is appropriate uh, transactions, you know, if it's listed in the, if it's from an OFAC, you know, sanctioned wallet, no, you can't, you won't be able to do that. Well, first of all, good fucking luck because I'm pretty sure there's going to be like, I don't know, a Norwegian underground miner that's going to mine whatever the hell that Norwegian miner wants to mine. All right. So good luck. But second and most importantly is the fork it issue, because that is exactly what will, what will happen if the pressure from this moron, this Carol House, this fucking spook gets too hot. The network will fork. And you, you guess who gets guess who gets the shitty into the fork? That's right. The United States federal government and all the rest of the Western governments that think that they just are the king shit and can say, tell anybody what it is that they want to do, right? It's just, it's insane. It should not be happening at all. It's just, it's all bullshit. All right. So when they fork it, if they fork it, guess what happens? I sell my airdropped forked coins for actual Bitcoin. That's the first thing that happens. That's the first thing that happens. But I'm actually not going to worry about this, right? I'm just not because Bitcoin is going to Bitcoin whether I'm here and giving a shit about it or not. And that goes the same for this Carol House chick who, by the way, is a non-resident senior fellow 
at the Atlantic Council Geoeconomic Center. Okay, whoop whoop de doo. The Atlantic Council part is that's spook that's a spookville. Okay, that's a that's a that's a spook town. But it gets worse. Check out her past. She recently served as the director of cybersecurity and secure digital innovation for the White House National Security Council, the NSC. Spook House. That's another spook house. Miss House joined the NSC from the United States Treasury's Financial Crime Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, where she led cybersecurity, virtual currency, and emerging technology policy efforts as a senior cyber and emerging technology policy officer. Prior to joining FinCEN, she worked as a presidential management fellow supporting the White House Office of Management and Budgets, Cyber, and National Security Unit, and the United States Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs on Cybersecurity, Supplying Chain Risk Management, Critical Infrastructure Protection Policy Issues. House is a former Army captain who served in, get this, chemical defense and military intelligence until 2014, including a deployment to Kandahar Province, Afghanistan, from 2012 to 2013 in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. She holds a Bachelor's of Arts in International Affairs from the University of Georgia and a Master's of Arts in Security Studies from Georgetown University. Georgetown University is a spook school. It is a, it's a fine university. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, and this is this is a university, you know, in around Virginia, right on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. It's very ancient. It's very old, right? It's got a lot of history. It's I I would consider it Ivy League. Very expensive school to go to. Very expensive. And who goes there? Well, people like Carol House, because it is a gateway into Spookville of Washington, D.C. You want to go be a spook? You follow this woman's track record. You go into the military. You work for military intelligence. And then, and then, you go to Georgetown. And then, after that, you go to the work for the freaking Cybersecurity Corps, the White House, and FinCEN. And then, all of a sudden, you find yourself at the National Security Council of the White House. Her next stop, by the way, is probably going to be the National Security Agency or the NSA. This woman is pure spook, right? Everything she says should be taken seriously, but I don't think these people quite understand yet what they're up against. They have more of a chance. The United States military, along with all NATO allies, have more chance to militarily conquer every nation in the world at once than they do being able to take over the full faculty and facilities of Bitcoin mining across the globe. It would literally be easier for them to invade 250 separate countries, or 170 depending on how you're counting the number of countries in the world. I'm just saying, good luck. I don't care how spooky you are. Good luck and have fun staying poor. Now, now we can get off of that and get into, uh, let's see, where are we at? Okay. 
If you're wondering about price action on Bitcoin over the last 24 to 36 hours, I got the scoop. I should have brought it to you yesterday, but I just found out about this shit after I finished yesterday's show. So my apologies for not being Johnny on the spot with this, but what's going on with the price action is this. Genesis approved to sell $1.6 billion worth of grayscale Bitcoin trust shares. Stacy Elliott going to line us out here from Decrypt.co. A United States bankruptcy judge has granted bankrupt crypto trading desk and lender Genesis permission to sell $1.6 billion with a B worth of its grayscale Bitcoin trust shares, according to a court filing. Along with the GBTC shares, Genesis will also be selling its shares in Grayscale Ethereum Trust and Grayscale Ethereum Classic Trust as part of the firm's plan to repay its creditors. The approval was made despite objections from digital currency group Genesis' parent company concerning the potential prematurity of the sale in relation to the overall bankruptcy plan. Earlier this morning, DCG argued that the plan would wind up overpaying creditors. In a court filing, DCG argued that the repayment plan disproportionately favors a small controlling group of creditors over others and that DCG cannot support such a plan and the court should not approve it. The biggest issue? According to DCG, some of the creditors will receive far more than others since the prices of digital assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum have risen since Genesis went bust in January of 2023, but the judge was not convinced. Genesis aims to use the proceeds to repay customers and avoid monthly fees associated with its trust agreements. The development is just a part of Genesis's broader liquidation plan, which includes settlements with regulatory bodies to prioritize customer repayments. A future court hearing will consider the approval of Genesis's entire bankruptcy plan on February the 26th. They first ran into trouble back in November of 2022, It was already known that the firm had made billions of dollars worth of loans to bankrupt hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. But when things started to fall apart for Alameda Research and FTX, things got just a tick more dire for Genesis. The company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in January of 2023. Meanwhile, the judge's approval means that GBTC will experience more selling pressure after seeing a wave of it over the past month. After the United States Securities and Exchange Commission approved Grayscale to convert GBTC to spot, there were a few weeks of intense sell-the-news trading as investors liquidated their GBTC shares. Even with the persistent outflows, since the conversion, the fund is far and away the most dominant product in the space. Its assets under management are about four times that of BlackRock's iShares Bitcoin Trust, which just this week cleared the $5 billion milestone. That metric is significant because it means IBIT has now doubled its fee from the initial 0.12% to now a full quarter percent in management fees. So that's what's going on with the Bitcoin price right now. That's why you're start, That's why you started seeing these spikes. Uh, I don't know, yesterday was weird and I couldn't get my mind wrapped around it until after the show. And then I realized that, yeah, there's going to be more liquidations on the horizon. We're almost at the end of the hurricane. If you can be patient and survive the end of the hurricane, just just batten down the hatches, 
stay hole up in the hole in the ground, just chill out, do whatever it is that you've been doing for the past, oh, I don't know, three straight years, continue to do that and wait for the suckers to clear out and the air to return back to the space because these dipshits really screwed everything up. And don't expect anybody to have learned any lessons whatsoever. Why would I say that? Well, we'll get to it later, but it's going to include Tron. So we're going to get into a little bit of shit coinery. But first, first, GoFundMe has shut down the Tornado Cash legal defense crowdfunding. <laughs> yes, as if you thought GoFundMe was on anybody's side, but the uh, you know Western governments of the world... Uh, this one will probably uh, get you disillusioned. Arjit Sarkar, Cointelegraph. American crowdfunding platform GoFundMe canceled a fundraiser dedicated to collecting legal fees for the co-founder of controversial cryptocurrency mixer Tornado Cash, Roman Storm, and its developer, Alexei Pertsev. On January the 22nd, Storm released a video asking community members to fund the legal fees for its court battle against the United States authorities for allegedly facilitating the bypass of United States sanctions. While the Tornado Cash duo started receiving funds from supporters on February the 14th, GoFundMe canceled the fundraiser citing the breach of their terms of service, specifically term number 22. It implies that the Tornado Cash fundraiser was collecting legal fees and could expose GoFundMe, its employees, or users to some harm or liability of some type. It's re- freaking ridiculous. It's honestly very ridiculous. Um, well, my browser's decided to be weird on the fonts. Okay, there we go. Many donors, including Ryan Adams of Bankless Ventures, saw their donations being returned to the GoFundMe fundraiser as it was canceled, and he said, quote, good thing we have an uncensorable money system so we can still fund civil liberties like the right to a fair trial. Yeah, well, uh, Ryan Adams is an Ethereum head, and ever since they went to proof of stake, the answer that you're looking for is, no, it's not. Not anymore. Maybe a while back it used to be, but certainly not now. So Ryan Adams can basically just go fuck himself. He pledged to send his original contribution of $10,000 back to Storm using cryptocurrencies. GoFundMe confirmed that the funds will arrive in the donor's bank accounts in three to seven business days. While live, the Tornado Cash GoFundMe had collected $30,000 in donations. Storm and Pertsev aimed to collect $1.5 million to fund legal fees in the United States. The duo currently relies on the crypto funding platform Juicebox where 316 Ether had been collected. However, the Tornado Cash community questions GoFundMe's intent to cancel the fundraisers as the platform allowed similar campaigns to be conducted in the past. Storm and Seminoff have been charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering, conspiracy to commit sanctions violations, and conspiracy to operate an unlicensed money transmitting business. However, they maintain a not guilty stance on all charges related to money laundering and violations of United States sanctions. Storm is out of jail on a $2 million bond and restricted from traveling outside certain regions of New York, New Jersey, Washington, and California. That is weird. New York, New Jersey, and Washington are basically all bunched up on the, on the East Coast, and then California, so he's able to like fly across the country, I guess. I, I know, it's, the whole thing is weird. 
But GoFundMe canceling this entire thing is just further evidence that GoFundMe is not a private company. They just work in collusion with whatever Western government they feel the need to get down on their knees and service. It's just, it's, this is why we need things like Noster. And this is why things like Bitcoin exists. Now, Sean Adams actually saying that good thing that they've got uncensorable cash, not unless you use Bitcoin, buddy. If you're going to try to use that Ethereum bullshit of yours, um, at one point or another, it may still work right now. But since you guys have hamstrung your entire network by going to proof of stake at one point or another, and much sooner than you think, all that shit's gone. It's just all going to be gone. Okay, moving on. I had mentioned it on Noster yesterday. Braden Lindria from uh, Cointelegraph has written a full thing about it. Not what I, because I said it, that this has been in the wind for a couple of days. <clears throat> but I was talking about the S&P 500 and MicroStrategy, and Braden has broken it down basically by saying MicroStrategy listing in the S&P index could expose millions to Bitcoin. MicroStrategy, the largest corporate holder of Bitcoin, is slowly creeping towards being eligible for inclusion on the S&P 500 index. The Bitcoin-focused firm would still need to meet strict eligibility criteria and secure a hefty market cap boost, however. Data shows MicroStrategy moved up to the 535th position among the largest publicly traded companies in the United States on February the 15th, following an eight-day trading span that saw its stock price rally 46%. Holy shit. Getting on the index, the S&P 500, which tracks the top 500 largest companies listed on stock exchanges, the United States requires a firm to meet several eligibility criteria, including a minimum market cap requirement and a positive sum of profits over the previous four quarters, in addition to being profitable in the most recent quarter. At least 250,000 shares must have also been traded over the last six months and most of the shares must be in the public's hands. Under current rules, candidate firms need a market cap of $15.8 billion to be eligible. MicroStrategy sits at $12.1 billion, meaning its current price of $718 per share would need to rise to $937, all else being equal. MicroStrategy stock has, however, posted a positive sum of profits over the last four quarters, including its most recent quarter. Even if the criteria are met, the S&P's 11-member executive committee must approve MicroStrategy's listing. The committee temporarily removed electric car manufacturer Tesla from the S&P 500 ESG index back in May of 2022. The broad index fund rebalances on the third Friday of every March, June, September, and December. Should MicroStrategy seek a listing on the S&P and succeed, it could spark a massive positive feedback loop of Bitcoin exposure in nearly every ETF portfolio, according to Joe Burnett, senior product marketing manager at Bitcoin financial services firm Unchained. If MicroStrategy is included in the S&P 500, Bitcoin will begin automatically infiltrating nearly every portfolio. This includes your traditional 401k, your pension fund, 
and every 60-40 ratio portfolio in existence. The three largest exchange-traded funds by assets under management track the S&P 500, namely State Street's Spider S&P 500 ETF Trust, BlackRock's iShares Core S&P 500, and Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF with over $400 billion of assets in each, according to Vetify's ETF database. If MicroStrategy were to break into the S&P, its portfolio weighting would be around 0.01% of the index fund. And data shows the S&P 500 currently boasts a market cap of $41.9 trillion. You heard it, trillion with a T which means MicroStrategy would consume $12 billion of passive capital allocation at the 0.01% weighting. Quote, passive index flows drive markets. Inclusion would equal automatic buying, boosting its share price, enabling more equity issuance for BTC buys, further lifting its share price, and attracting even more passive flows, Burnett said in a separate post. MicroStrategy currently holds 190,000 BTC at an average purchase price of 31,000 bucks, meaning that the firm is up 3.9 billion on its investment. It comes as the firm's founder and chairman Michael Saylor revealed MicroStrategy is transitioning from a business intelligence firm to a Bitcoin development firm on February the 9th. So, Bitcoin development firm. Let's, let's just chew on that for just a sec. Does that mean he's going to hire core development guys or, or fund them or, or in some way or another support Bitcoin core development? Will that go to lightning? Will he possibly consider Noster? Nobody knows, really. But I would like to see a lot more detail as to what he means by Bitcoin becoming a or by MicroStrategy becoming a Bitcoin development company. Okay, second up is this the entire notion of what happens if MicroStrategy ends up in the S&P 500. Well, without getting too far in the weeds, because we just read a lot of being in the weeds, uh, the whole 0.01% allocation, we don't need to worry about that. All it means is that every 60-40 fund, every 401k, at least in the United States, like almost every retirement plan has some exposure to buying some form of an S&P 500 ETF or exchange-traded fund. That means that even if you know it or not, when you go and like, like, I don't know, let's say you go work for Texas Tech University and you go meet with human resources and they say, well, you know, we have these three different retirement plans. What do you want? You say, I just want your standard 401k. They say, okay, we'll do that. Well, every part of your paycheck that you get Whatever it is that you allocated to go to your retirement, a portion of that is going to be allocated to go to the S&P 500, some ETF vehicle that will be bought for you in your name and held for you in your name inside of your standard 401k retirement account, which means that if MicroStrategy gets in, you're going to physically own shares of MicroStrategy. And if you do, then you've got direct exposure to Bitcoin. Well, What does that mean? The minute that everybody figures that shit out and the United States government or Western and including Western governments, when they start railing against Bitcoin and trying to get it to shut it down, they're going to perceive it as a financial and monetary attack upon their personal 
retirement account. That's what's going to happen. Because if you've got MicroStrategy in the S&P 500, then everybody that has exposure to the S&P 500 has exposure to MicroStrategy, which is overweighted, overweighted on Bitcoin. I don't have to say what I think about the company. I don't know very much about the company other than they used to develop you know, business software, business intelligence software. I've heard that it's okay. You know, they, they seem to make a lot of money doing it. They have in the past. That's how Michael Saylor became a billionaire. So, you know, I figure that he's doing something right. The point is, is that they did get overweighted on Bitcoin, which is fine by me. I, maybe I shouldn't use the term overweighted. Maybe I should use structurally, proportionally weighted to the future. Maybe that's the way that I should actually term that. In either event, if they get into the S&P 500, everybody that has exposure to the S&P 500 automatically has exposure to Bitcoin. And any attack on Bitcoin will be a direct attack on their financial future, their monetary health, and they're not going to fucking stand for it. However... The last thing that I'll say is this. What are the chances that the 11-member board of directors of the S&P 500 even allows, even if they meet all the criteria, what are the chances they allow the acceptance of MicroStrategy into the S&P 500 knowing that the second that they do, for as long as MicroStrategy stays in the S&P 500, that they will have tacitly given their approval for Bitcoin as a financial instrument. I, I honestly, I honestly expect to see a news headline, 11 member board of S&P 500 staunchly refused the acceptance of MicroStrategy into the S&P 500, Bitcoiners infuriated. Something like that. There'll be something like that. I guarantee it. I guarantee that the first few tries that MicroStrategy makes to be accepted into the S&P 500 will be met with derision and it will just not fucking happen. And it's going to take several, several rounds of Michael Saylor beating somebody up some on the phone somewhere in Washington, D.C. to get that shit to happen. But I don't expect it to happen on the first try. Maybe I'll be wrong. Who knows? Hey, you want to get into some stupid? Let's get into some stupid. Let's, let's, uh, we got to do some stupid. Stupid things Craig Wright said in his latest stupid trial. This is out of Coindesk. Coindesk normally doesn't use language like that. Daniel Kuhn, I can't wait to read this one. Over the course of nearly 30 hours of cross-examination, Craig Stephen Wright, the Australian man who claims to be Bitcoin pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto has been raked through the coals. Self-described computer scientist, economist, cryptographer, patent writer, author, lawyer, pastor, master of martial arts, and mathematician, in other words, a fabulist, has been accused of misrepresenting facts, told by the judge to stay on topic, and silenced by his very own lawyers. For years, Wright has been harassing and threatening Bitcoin developers and users, filing libel suits and gag orders after claiming ownership of the intellectual property behind the world's first cryptocurrency. And it's that chilling effect that the nonprofit Crypto Open Patent Alliance was trying to shut down when it filed its lawsuit in 2021, the most aggressive attempt yet to settle once and for all that Wright 
is not what he says he is. Jonathan Hugh, or Howe, COPA's lead lawyer, argued in his opening statement that over the past eight years, ever since Wright came into the public eye, he has committed fraud on an industrial scale. During the cross-examination, which wrapped up Wednesday, Hugh accused CSW of forging or manipulating documents related to the development of Bitcoin and misunderstanding the basics of the system Wright supposedly built. That said, the burden is on the plaintiffs to prove Wright is wrong, and Wright, who has been described as largely calm and articulate in the courtroom, certainly has convinced people in the past, including his benefactor billionaire online gambling magnate Calvin Ayer, For many onlookers, however, the case has already been made. Wright, by taking the stand, simply discredited himself. There have been too many inconsistencies, too many happenstances, and too much misdirection to be believed. The trial is expected to go on until, for God's sakes, mid-March. For now, Coindesk has collected some of the most bizarre, asinine, and head-scratching moments of the case so far. The opening statement from Wright's lawyers, given by Lord Anthony Grabener, was almost an indictment in itself. Put in the tough position of explaining Wright's reluctance to show how he can interact with any of the millions of Bitcoin linked to Satoshi, thus easily proving his right to the Satoshi mantle. Grabener said it was down to philosophical differences. Apparently, Wright's unusual behavior or flip-flopping on whether to sign a transaction as he pledged to do way back in 2016 would conflict with Wright's core belief in privacy. Putting aside that Wright lives a very public life, Wright has also criticized the pseudonymous aspects of crypto, saying it's part of the reason Bitcoin has become a hotbed for crime. Wright, who claims to be working towards count them one, two, three, four, five separate PhDs, apparently does not know the very basics of coding. During a cross-examination by Alexander Gunning KC, asking about PGP keys and cryptography, Wright was asked about unsigned integers, used essentially to determine whether a string of data will have a plus or a minus prefix, and he wasn't able to. Longtime crypto advocate Michael Parenti noted the unsigned integer function was used over five hundred times in the original Bitcoin source code. What was meant to be a routine line of questioning to enter basic facts into the record about the Bitcoin source code may be the single moment remembered for years to come. As Bit Norbert, who's been following the trial, said on Twitter, quote, he couldn't explain what an unsigned integer is. If you're not a programmer, perhaps you don't appreciate what a basic thing this is. An average First semester computer science students should be able to explain this. The judge, with his computer science background, certainly can. This is like having someone who says they're a mathematician not being able to explain what multiplication is. Wright likes to make himself out to be a workaholic. At one point in the trial, he said he has written three patents so far that week, during lunch times. On February the 13th alone, he wrote two papers. Thankfully, he has given the courtroom a little insight into what drives him to work so tirelessly. Quote, I keep being told by other people what I can and cannot do. I keep being told that I'm useless by others. This is one of the reasons I keep getting all these degrees, he said on the last day of his cross-examination. If you were thinking that Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin in an attempt to better the world, think again. 
It turns out that he actually had a huge chip on his shoulder and an emptiness inside. In 2020, Wright published a blog titled As an Autistic Savant that made the case that he was telling the truth about inventing Bitcoin because he had Asperger's. Quote, lying is not something I do easily or well, and my behavior is not a mark of deception, but rather normal for autistic individuals. I'm brutally honest, but also incredibly precise, he said. For fuck's sake. It'd be too much to list every inconsistency brought up in the trial. The main strategy of the COPA legal team has been to force right to account for the hundreds of indications of forgery and manipulation found by a forensic evidence expert in emails, documents, and computer files submitted into evidence. But to take just two striking examples where he wasn't exactly, quote, precise with his language, at one point, Wright claimed he did not have a Reddit account and has never used the popular message board site. Well, here's his account. And they give a link. Wright also said he faked Satoshi's PGP key, perhaps mistakenly, and they give another link to that account. Relatedly, Wright denies forging or plagiarizing any of the documents submitted into evidence. He's blamed hacks, faulty internet connections, and a grand conspiracy of people trying to, quote, frame him as a liar for some of the inconsistencies brought like metadata that shows documents pertaining to the creation of Bitcoin were made using Word 2015. On the opening day of the case, Judge Miller acknowledged the allegations of forged documents and told Wright he, quote, should consider himself extremely lucky to argue his case given the circumstances. When asked by Miller on Wednesday to produce a single documented document related to early Bitcoin files that does not show signs of tampering, Wright said they would be unavailable. Plus, he argued, it couldn't possibly be him manipulating the documents because if it were, he wouldn't have gotten caught. Can you believe this, dude? I mean, this is like, honestly, man, this shit is freaking amazing to me to see this. In either event, we're going to run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. They got oil. West Texas Intermediate up a point and a quarter to $79 and one penny. Brent North Sea is up two thirds of a point to 83.39. Natural gas is actually up today 1.83% to $1.61 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is up scant to $2.32 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks doing well. Gold is back up another half point to 2025. Silver is up two and a half points. Platinum is up almost a point. Copper is up almost two full points, but palladium is down a third. And mostly in the red on ag, agricultural futures are flashing me a sign that sugar is in the lead today while chocolate is the biggest loser at almost 5% to the downside. Live cattle is up over a full point. Lean hogs up a quarter and feeder cattle up almost a point and a half. The Dow and all the legacy indices are struggling today because of the producer price index. Yeah, that that news came in and it made people sad on Wall on Wall Street. So maybe they should just buy Bitcoin. But the Dow is up scant, point zero four percent. The S and P likewise up zero point zero eight 
NASDAQ is down 0.15%. The S&P mini is down 0.17. Uh, we got a $51,000, no, $51,950 price tag on Bitcoin, chilling out at a $1.02 trillion market cap, 19629474 and a quarter Bitcoin in circulation at the time. Average block sizes are 1.7 megabytes. The hash rate is 575.1 exahashes per second. Fees per block stand at 0.42 BTC. And the block space percentage being used by absolute garbage is 2.1%. So ordinals are climbing higher as we go on. It's sad to see, but we are going to have to live with this bullshit. Never forgive Udi. Uh, 145,000 unconfirmed transactions inside of 211 blocks waiting to clear got high priorities of 37 satoshis per v byte that's about 2.69 dollars for your high priority transactions uh 29 satoshis per v byte for low priority everything under five satoshis per v byte are being purged from mempools around the world now i got a hash rate here on mempool.space saying 543 exahash per second so we're pretty close okay from Warren's Flag, yesterday's episode number 857 of Bitcoin. And I've got Nick underscore dose with 1369 says, cheers. Cheers, brother. God's Death with 537 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Pies with 420 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Jory X McKee says, no friggin' way in hell would Senator Lizard Warren endorse Bitcoin or its creator. This will probably make her even more deranged. Laugh out loud. Well done, Anon. And Tim Hubbard finishes this up by saying, nothing at all with 100 sats. Going back to George, you're right. It's probably going to make her deranged. She is probably livid. And I'll bet we see a bill come through very soon that changes the rules of how a flag and who can fly it over the United States Capitol building exist. I just, I mean, I just, the... She needs to go cry harder. There's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Tron. Going to start off with a little bit of shitcoinery. Tron founder has unveiled Bitcoin layer two solution as BTC DeFi breaks $1.2 billion dollars in total value locked or TVL. Uh, I don't want to do it, but you've got to understand what's coming down the pipe. Let's let's do this one first. It's by the way written by a guy's name I can't pronounce. Sorry for you, bro. Cryptoslate.com. In a February 15th post on the social media platform Twitter, Sun revealed his intent to foster decentralization and seamless integration of diverse token formats within the Tron network and the broader Bitcoin ecosystem. This strategic move would enhance interoperability and allow Bitcoin to tap into Tron's $55 billion stablecoin pool. While specific timelines remain undisclosed, Tron's Bitcoin 2 or Layer 2 roadmap delineates three pivotal phases. Stage 1. The initial phase concentrates on integrating various Tron token formats with the Bitcoin network through cross-chain technologies. Concurrently, 
Tron Dow aims to bolster ordinals. You knew it was coming. And Bitcoin Layer 2 solutions by investing in intuitive wallets and supportive tools for the BRC20 token standard. In phase two, Tron will collaborate with multiple Bitcoin Layer 2 protocols to allow its users to participate in staking activities across diverse Bitcoin-based Layer 2 networks. The network will launch a Layer 2 solution interfacing Tron, BitTorrent Chain, and the Bitcoin network in the third and final phase. And I guess phase four is what? Profit? Because you know they're going to get it. Notably, this solution will introduce a Bitcoin-compatible protocol characterized by the agility of the proof-of-stake blockchain system and the robust security offered by proof-of-work networks. So there you go. Justin Sun, even though he's being sued by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, is just not going to give a shit. And he's going to scam you out of every dollar that he can scam you out of. If you fall for any of this, shame on you, right? Does it affect Bitcoin at all? Not the protocol. Because Justin Sun doesn't have his mitts on the protocol. All right, so the protocol, don't worry about that shit. It's the social layer that we come to next. Hold on. All right, um, got distracted. The social layer is how we interface with the protocol. Sure, you're going to say, oh, no, it's really the wallet. That's part of the protocol, right? Anything that's part of the protocol that allows you to interact digitally with the, the Bitcoin protocol is also part of the protocol. It's the wrapper around it, like uh, Novak and the cold card. He is a social wrapper around a portion of the Bitcoin protocol. Should you buy a cold card? Should you buy a ledger? Should you buy a Trezor? These are marketing issues. And that's where we start engaging with the social layer. Justin Sun, say what you want about him. And I think he's a dick and I think he's a thief and I think he should be in jail for the rest of his natural born life. It does not matter what I think. The fact of the matter is he is a marketing master. Marketing is the social layer interface with anything, whether it's a stake like you like Texas Slim. He's a personality and he's interfacing with beef and the beef industry. The beef industry may or may not be changed by what Texas Slim does, but right now it doesn't have any worries. Yet Texas Slim is interfacing with that protocol essentially. And that is a social situation. This is Justin's son simply slamming his head up against the Bitcoin protocol, trying to figure out a way to be a part of it. And guess what? He's going to succeed because there is no end to the amount of sheer stupid that exists in the world. With 8 billion people, if you had only 10% of them that will believe anything you want them to believe, and we have much more than that, You're talking about a lifetime of money just coming into you because you have no ethical stability. You have no moral compass and neither does Justin Sun. So two things. Don't put your fingers 
on a single thing that Justin Sun has his fingers directly on. And he will not have his fingers on the protocol. Okay, as long as you keep away from anything he touches, not including the Bitcoin protocol, but like a wallet that he endorses, stay away from it. If it's a token, uh, like a, a protocol or not protocol, uh, a standard, like a token standard, like BRC40, BRC45, BRC20, whatever it is that he wants to call a new one, stay away from it. Don't buy it. Don't buy ordinals. Stay away from ordinals because he's going to be able to touch everything about inscriptions and ordinals that he wants to touch because that is that is a just a melting pot that enables grifters like Udi Wertheimer and Eric Wall and now Justin Sun to get as close as they will ever get to the center of Bitcoin, which is the actual code, the code that we're pretty sure Craig Stephen Wright had no ability to actually create. I'm just, I'm just saying, stay away from this dude. Don't trust anything Justin Sun says. Right now, uh, let's get into this one. Apple has confirmed that the iOS 17.4 update disables progressive web apps in the EU. That's the European Union. What does this mean? Well, the iOS system has traditionally provided support for home screen web apps by building directly on WebKit and its security architecture. That integration means home screen web apps are managed to align with security and privacy model for native apps on iOS, including isolation of storage and enforcement of system prompts to access privacy impacting capabilities on a per site basis. Without this type of isolation and enforcement, malicious web apps could read data from other web apps and recapture their permissions to gain access to a user's camera, microphone, or location without a user's consent. Browsers also could install web apps on the system without user's awareness or consent. So this is this is basically what they're saying as a reasoning behind them taking away Every iPhone user in the European Union ability to run progressive web apps. PWAs in the EU are now gone with 17.4 iOS update. If you can stay away from updating to 17.4, I guess do it. I don't live in the EU, so I have no idea what they can and cannot do. But if you're a European Union citizen... Check to see what version of uh, the iPhone iOS uh, that you're running. If you're running anything below 17.4, lock the fucker down so that it can't auto-update until you choose to do that. Go to settings. It's in there. Okay? It's it's in your settings. You can figure out how to turn all the things off for auto-update. And uh, like in, the one you're looking for is the iOS update. Do not allow that to auto-update if you don't have 17.4. If you don't give a shit about progressive web apps, then you ain't got nothing to worry about, I guess. But Apple just showed everybody their ass. These companies are weak. They're strong because they have a lot of money. They're strong because they have a lot of friends in Congress. But as far as their strength that they show to their consumers that purchase their products, they're becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And this is where new companies can come and attack. 
And I hope they're all Bitcoin companies. I hope all of the legacy bullshit is basically taken away from legacy guys and given to people that actually have a moral compass, have a spine, and a ball sack. Just, just saying. U.S. Treasury admits that Wall Street Journal reporting mis- reported misleading numbers on Bitcoin's use by militant groups. So U.S. Treasury basically saying they're wrong. No bullshit Bitcoin. Treasury's Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Brian Nelson, confirmed that Hamas and other militant groups still prefer traditional means of finance during a House Financial Services Committee hearing on Wednesday. Quote, today I asked Treasury's head of FinCEN and OFAC about the WSJ's reporting on Hamas's digital asset fundraising campaign. Undersecretary Nelson confirmed on the record that the Wall Street Journal's numbers were inaccurate and that crypto was not even a popular tool for Hamas terrorist. Congressman Tim Emmer said on Twitter, quote, Senators are writing legislation based on that very Wall Street Journal's inaccurate reporting. Since Treasury has accurate data, it has an obligation to correct the record on the size of Hamas's digital asset fundraising efforts. Quote, we didn't expect the number to be very high, said Brian Nelson, when asked about the amounts of digital assets raised by militant groups. Quote, we also assess that terrorists still prefer, frankly, to use the traditional products and services. Notice how Nelson did not say prefer to use what? The United States dollar. That's the product and instrument. They're not buying, Hamas isn't buying the S&P 500 ETF from Vanguard as an instrument. No, they're using United States dollars. They're using cold, hard fucking cash. That's what they're using. And yet this person cannot bring themselves to actually say the truth because the truth is much more scary than the fabricated report that the WSJ put out. They lied. They lied. The Wall Street Journal is not a journal. It is not populated with journalism. They have no journalists working for them because all of them are complicit in everything they publish. And when they published that story about Hamas's uses of Bitcoin, they lied. And when they did that, they destroyed all credibility. There is nothing in the Wall Street Journal that I will ever trust ever again. Just saying. Summer of Bitcoin 2024 applications are open. Until the 20th of February, that is. Summer of Bitcoin is a global online summer internship program focused on introducing university students to Bitcoin open source development and design no bullshit Bitcoin bringing it to us. Quote, applications are now open. And if you're a university or a high school student and interested in working on Bitcoin over the summer, apply today. Announced summer of Bitcoin. The deadline. Check it. The deadline to apply to summer of Bitcoin has been extended to the 19th of February, 1159 p.m. UTC. All right. So, at 11.59 or 23.59 UTC, okay, let's be proper about it, 11.59 p.m. or 
59 UTC on February the 19th. Until that time, you are able to apply for this. Please, if you are a high school student or a university student, please, please consider doing this. Please get some chops working around some of the finest individuals in the industry. People with an ethical compass, people with a moral compass, people that actually harbor hope in their souls and their hearts instead of your university professor who only gives a shit about just how fucked he's getting on his 401k program and realizing that all of academia is about to go down in fire. Just, I'll just leave that one there. Okay. Introducing NPUB.cash. Callie, C-A-L-L-E on Noster, is introducing NPUB Cash. Everyone with a Noster NPUB has a Lightning address, whether they know it or not. Your address is your pub key at npub.cash. Again, if you're on Noster and you know how to get your npub, and by God, you better know how to do that shit by now, you can just put your npub and then the at symbol and then npub.cash and give it to somebody. And all of a sudden you can receive zaps on the address while you're offline and redeem either your nuts. Whoop. And redeem either your nuts, either with your cashew wallet or directly to your lightning wallet of choice. No accounts, no signups, Noster native. All you need is a Noster signing browser extension like Albi. I've done it. I've got, I've, I, I claimed mine. Actually, you don't even really need to claim it. You've already claimed it. Your NPUB is the claimant. The fact that you have an NPUB that exists, all you have to do is just shove at NPUB.cash behind it and boom, you've got the ability to get eCash. It's kind of amazing. Again, my mental jury is still out on eCash. Is it a threat to Bitcoin? Will it cause Bitcoin problems? My gut feeling is is I'm going to say no. But I'm not going to just make a decision and say, this is good for Bitcoin or this isn't going to hurt Bitcoin or something like that. I'm going to experiment with it. I think that we need something else. Not not something to replace the Lightning Network, something that, that takes care of another portion of what we need when it comes to layer two stuff. I Right now, my gut feeling is simply that I I just don't see it as harming Bitcoin. I don't see it. I may be wrong. Don't don't misunderstand me. Because like I said, my own mental jury is out on this whole thing. But from what I've seen, I see the same kind of people working on eCash that I do working on Bitcoin. The same kind of fervor. The same kind of they're they're not saying things that make me feel like I'm listening to Justin Sun or Craig Wright or Eric Wall or Udi Wertheimer. I don't I don't feel the sappiness. I don't feel the marketing. I just see somebody de- or a whole bunch of people developing. Now your jury is your jury to either rein in or keep out on whether or Nash Cashew E Cash all that kind of stuff, whether or not it's the bane of Bitcoin, it's another marketing scam, 
You make that decision for yourself. I am not going to make it for you. And if you listen to what I say, you will believe the following. I am not here to answer your questions on subjects like this because this is above my pay grade. However, I did put my InPub in front of at InPub.cash and put it out on Noster. And all of a sudden, I got 210 Satoshis worth of eCash that are, are it's in eCash right now. And I can send it directly to a Lightning address. That is what makes me feel good about this going forward in the future. We're going to need other wrappers around Bitcoin because there's no way that every person on the face of this planet will have a UTXO. They're going to have to do something different. Does it, I'm not sad about it. I'm not gleeful about it. I'm not pounding my chest about being early. I'm not doing any of that. We've got to be free. And we've got to look at every potential freedom enabling tool that we can get our hands on. I'm looking at eCash. I'm looking specifically at eCash and how it functions with Noster, the Lightning Network, and the Bitcoin protocol. I'm not concerned about any of the other bullshit. So I'm just going to keep it right there. I'm going to continue to examine it. If I find a problem, I'll let you know. I swear to God. But before I go from this segment of the show, I got to say thank you, Tico, for the 100 sats. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. From the very embarrassing book of dad jokes by Ian Allen. Stupid answers kids give to questions. What is a glacier? Someone who mends broken windows. That would be a glazer, by the way. A glazer. Uh, where does a kangaroo keep her baby? In her porch. What is a vacuum? A large empty space where the Pope lives. <laughs> Gets a bit Vatican. Uh, what did Moses bring down from Mount Sinai? The tabloids. What did Socrates die of? An overdose of wedlock. Nope, you mean hemlock, but I'm just going to leave it there. Okay, so it is Friday. Head out, do good work, stack sats, hold Bitcoin, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.